Dodnet Rocks episode 776 with guests Dan North, Esther Derby, Fred George, and Robert Martin. Recorded live at NDC in Oslo, Norway, Thursday, June 7th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Welcome to the World Wrestling Federation. It's going to be a cage match. Um, We have beer. Who needs beer? Dan needs beer. Bob needs beer. (laughs) They're feeding Dan and Bob beer. What could go wrong? What's the worst that could happen? Where poor adult decision making is made. What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that an an album by Frank Zappa? Agile and beer. (laughs) These are kind of unsteady, aren't they? Yeah, a little bit wobbly. They're a little wobbly. So drink lots of beer. beer. Yeah. Have lots of beer. (laughs) I was going to catch you. I don't like those. I'm going to (laughs) stand. It is a little frightening, isn't it? It doesn't like me either. <laughs> you could learn to control these. <laughs> oh, Famous last words. This could be yeah. a whole different kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even started the beer yet. Uh, well, thank you guys. Thanks for coming. C.NET Rocks Live. Woo! We are recording this for a .NET Rocks show. You guys are part of history. Congratulations. Mm. Uh, we're also recording this for the NDC website, I believe. Yes. In video. In video. That's a shame. So there'll be no flashing, please, Bob. Keep your clothes on this time. <laughs> Not like last time. And uh, so we have an esteemed panel. We're going to talk about Agile, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves now. Uh, by the way, I'll introduce myself. I'm Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. We're the .NET Rocks guys. If you don't know what our show is, it's free. It's at .NET We have almost 800 shows in our archive. Uh, this August will be the 10th anniversary of the very yeah. first show, my friend. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. So you, you, you predate the word podcast by a couple of years. Yeah, yeah we've been doing a long time. So uh, I'm going to let the guests introduce themselves to you, starting with Mr. Dan North. Uh, okay, hi, I'm Dan North. I used to be uh, an Agile consultant, but I'm all right now. <laughs> I spent about eight years working with an Agile consulting firm, and then for the last two and a half years, I've been working with a uh, trading firm called DRW, uh, where I've been uh, variously writing uh, trading apps, so low latency trading apps, the kind of things that, that are destroying the Western world's mm-hmm. economy, oh, yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> coaching teams and involved in organizational change and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Very good. Esther. Uh, my name's Esther Derby. I started my professional career as a programmer, and because I was a good programmer, they made me a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Another career ruined. Where's the logic in that? Didn't have to do it. <laughs> so I decided I was going to get good at working with people. So I have spent the last, well, we won't say how many years of my career, um, really focusing on the social system around the way we do our work, because it's 
technical work happens in a, a technical system and a social system. So I, I spend my time working on the social system side of it and teams and management and how organizations function as systems. Fred. Yeah, Fred George, uh, currently a consultant, I'm sorry. Um, my, I basically have had a career of just delivering software, so I started writing code in 1968. Uh, I still write code. It's a year before I was born. Yeah, Fred, I was yeah. born. <laughs> yeah, I was a year time, old. I, I tend to work with 20-year-olds, and it's like I was born before their parents. I've got grandkids older than you. Yes, I hear that a lot now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about delivery. Uh, I tend, as I was telling the audience before, I, was, I tend to live in chaotic situations, uh, People who know me know me well enough that if it's not chaotic, I will make it chaotic. And so they tend to move me along at that point. Uh, but yeah, just something new, always something new. Uh, love the challenge. Bob? My turn? Yes. Okay. Uh, and Bob's I'm, your I'm, uncle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm Bob Martin. Uh, I wrote my first line of code in 1964. Good deal. Minus Some people call me Uncle Bob. I have yet to understand why. Um, I called the meeting of of the Agile Alliance for Snowboard Snowbird Snowboard. Mm. Another beer. <laughs> 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 I called the meeting at Snowbird for the Agile Alliance. I've been paying for my sin ever since. Mm. <laughs> Terrible. Well, my friend, uh, I believe this is the future of Agile. Ah, well, I think we should start with the state of Agile. Yeah, well. we should start with the state. And we were talking with uh, Uncle Bob in the booth in the fishbowl. And uh, the whole idea of have things having a future, like Agile having a future, is kind of crazy. But uh, we'll probably stick to the state of Agile. I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess we could comment on the future, I, I suppose. But uh, where are we today? Well, we're in Norway. <laughs> um, Agile. Uh, where the heck is Agile? So ironically, at that Snowbird meeting, Kent Beck said he started extreme programming for the purpose of healing the division between business and development. Uh, and and uh, the reason I say that's ironic is because apparently we have failed at that rather dismally, to the extent where even the Agile community now no longer supports that goal, or at least does not exhibit that goal. So I find that distressing in, in a great deal. How many of you are uh, certified Scrum Masters? What the hell wow. is that? Wow, what the hell is that? 30, 40 hands? At least, yeah. Wow. Scrum does certification? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, did you get that memo? Yeah. <laughs> I should get some of that. Well, so that why, why, are you, why are you reacting the way you are, Bob? Uh, the, the very first certified Scrum Master course was taught in my office. Ken Schwaber came to me and said, I got this idea. And I thought, well, that's a really stupid idea, but go ahead. Use it in my <laughs> office if you'd like. He taught all my guys. I, at the time, I ran a company. I don't know what the heck was wrong with me for doing that. Um, they uh, asked me to, they, all my guys learned it from Ken. I was off teaching something else somewhere else, so I never went to the course. Uh, I figured the whole thing would fizzle. I was very, very wrong. And for a while, I thought, you know, this is a good idea, this, this whole certification thing. Not because certification's a good idea, but because it was getting people interested. 
It was a, a way to puncture into the market. Since then, I've uh, come to a very different conclusion. I think probably we damaged ourselves very badly because of because of that certification thing. And now, now there's competitive certifications. And so, what does it mean if you've got a piece of paper that meant that you sat for two days in a course? It means nothing. It means nothing. But we think it means something. We we frame it, or we we go and we get it, or whatever the heck. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. It means money. Well, it does mean money to some people. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mind money. I think money is a good thing. People should figure out how to make lots of money. I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, and even the certification scheme. It doesn't bother me that Ken made a lot of money on that. It doesn't bother me that the Scrum Alliance makes a lot of money on that. What bothers me... <sighs> is this earpiece right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what bothers me is that we somehow think <laughs> that that certification has some kind of meaning, that we chase the paper as opposed to chasing the knowledge. What, what should a software certification look like? What does it take to be a doctor? Uh, an internship. Well, an Years. internship, a residency, a lot of school... More than half the people don't make it. Years mm -hmm. of practice. I guess it, you get that piece of paper to become an MD. You know you've earned something. That's not something that you just put two days in your seat for. You earned that sucker. That's going on your wall. Sorry. Rant. More beer. Just a little one. Esther? <laughs> well, I, I hope we don't spend the entire time talking about certification. I hope so, too. <laughs> That's why I was going to ask you. Yeah. You have an opportunity to change the subject. Um, well, you know, I, um, I, I've been talking to people lately who say that Agile has crossed the chasm. That's a good thing. Well, is it? I don't know. Is that making it more I mainstream? Mean, I, uh, yeah, do you I mean think, cross the chasm or jump the shark? <laughs> well, I, I think the word agile has crossed the chasm. And I think mm -hmm. that the early majority now is enamored of that word, but it no longer has any shared meaning. Mm -hmm. And people in the, you know, if you look at Moore's work, um, he characterizes people in the early majority as people who want... Uh, they're not interested in really radical change. They're interested in tweaking existing operations. Um, they want something that works out of the box, and they want a recipe. And I don't think you can do Agile that way. So, yeah, when you no. open the box and what it says is you must think for yourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then they Indeed. close the box and go yes. on a course, don't I, they? I can sell a lot of those boxes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. <laughs> but, but I think we're also in an era where Agile is, for the next 10 years, Agile is going to be a pretty broadly applied term mm -hmm. for good reasons. I think... We're getting enough organizations that are very mature in Agile because they've been doing it for so long, and you're seeing a lot of change in Agile processes. I mean, you talk about that quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. I talk about that some of that. But that means also it's being adopted across the organizations, and the organizations are just getting started in there. And we're, yes. we're, we're going to have another 10 years of organizations just still beginning to start. So it's going to be very prescriptive. The, if they pull out the old XP original <laughs> book and just follow the recipes, they'll be making progress. But the guys at the other early adopters, they're going to be doing something so different, it's almost hard to call it that. But I think we still follow the Agile Manifesto. We still believe in the, in the core principles. But I think because of the breadth of range of experience we have for the next decade, 
Agile is going to be a very broad term, and I don't think we need to get upset at that. We asked this of a panel in uh, Vancouver, Canada last week on the very subject, and so I'll put it to you. Do, you. do any of you have any hard numbers as to the success rate of Agile projects over waterfall projects? I would think in a deep Agile project where it's done correctly, uh, well, let's see, I've never had an Agile failure. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing it for almost 12 years now. Uh, but I've heard of Agile failures. And I, as you look at these, sometimes you find out they really didn't know what Agile was or they didn't have the right leadership associated with it. Right. What, what about failing for good reason? Or what about realizing that you're doing the wrong thing because of feedback and then deciding to... Uh, I consider that a success, That's actually. Success. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I call that a success. I mean, I, I certainly, in my one of my former companies, we had a client that we got in there quite early, and we are going to ramp up to huge numbers. And pretty much after four weeks, we decided it was an impossible project, and we told the client that and rolled everybody off, you know, closed the contract. And now uh, you success. Think that's yeah, a good I outcome. agree that that's a success. And in, in some organizations, emotionally and in terms of the way you are treated and rewarded and promoted, that's considered a failure. Right, so, so, so Agile is going into contexts where um, the cultural system and the reward system are very, very, um, oh, shall we say, orthogonal to some of the things that we're trying to accomplish with So Agile. does anybody have any hard numbers? Michael Ma does, I bet. Yeah. But I can't channel him. Well, the thing okay. is, no, I would expect... You... Sorry, go ahead, Dan. So it depends how you, how you classify these things. If you ask projects to self-describe, yeah. then a lot of, you know, you can, you can get someone who's turned the Gantt chart 90 degrees and calls it a backlog and they've sure. taken their PMI qualification and they've gone on a weekend retreat and they've come back as scrum master right. and they're calling themselves agile and they're just doing water scrum. And, and, and it, it makes me sad. Oh, no, so water scrum, well, water scrum. scrum just, let, let me, let me explain this. So it's the idea that, you can, if you have a just a long enough iteration or sprint, say about four to six weeks, and you do them frequently, you know, do them one after the other, then you can, you can get a balance where you're doing all of the negatives of waterfall compounded with all of the negatives of any kind of agile process. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. So you have this kind of, uh, mad running around, you know, only like the, the sort of agile just in time requirements thing just means you just get half baked requirements. Then you get a bit of hacking in the middle and then you get a mad squeeze on the testing in the end of the sprint. And then just when everyone's exhausted, you do it all again. So you've got all of the gating and all of the blame and also all of the thrashing around. It's fantastic. So well, then you... it speaks to the whole out of the box idea that people yes. say, well, you know, we, we don't want to change our operations in any significant way. So we'll just change this thing. We'll tweak it a little. We'll just right. change the labels. So we'll change the labels. Change or, or, or just hire a scrum master. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that'll be, yeah. I mean, to some degree, that's where I, I guess 700 developers and an agile coach. We're fine. Yeah. We're winning. And I think a lot of companies feel that if I just go put that skill into my team, they don't have to train anybody else. Nobody else has to do anything differently. I just I just changed my project manager to a scrum master, and all of a sudden I'm agile. And I think if you define agile in that terms, yes, the failure rate's pretty much like every other failure rate. So it's a problem that we're reporting our our successes ourselves. There isn't any third body that's keep, keeping score of our successes. Well, I, I have another client who does try to keep score on these things, and they would say agile is maybe on an optimistic day 12% more productive than waterfall. Mm -hmm. Is there official numbers? And... But they look at that number and say, yeah, but you're probably not doing real Agile. You just say you're doing Agile. Uh, well, so here's the thing. Well, 
twelve percent or improvement is not bad. No, it's not that sneeze that. That's significant. I'm thinking, for many without companies. a double blind test, how can we already know? Right, so we exactly. have to take yeah, a bunch of no, idiots. No. Doing Scrum, doing Agile, and then we have to take a bunch of really uh, professional Agile people doing Agile and compare the difference. Thank you for that. Yes, there there is no real data out there. There's no controlled experiment. There's no there's no solid information out there at all That's that Agile point. projects do better than non-Agile projects. And probably because there really aren't any Agile projects, and nor were there ever really any waterfall projects. You know what we had was a bunch of guys trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And there were processes out there, and for the most part, we tried to ignore the stupid stuff in the in the process and actually get stuff done. And we might tell people, oh, yeah, we're doing analysis now. Right. We're doing design now. We might have said that during Waterfall. But we're, you know, we were really just trying to get stuff done. Most of that is just, you know, a lot of smoke and mirrors. What happened in Snowbird was a bunch of very old programmers who got together and said, can't we go back to the way we used to do things in the 50s and 60s? That was essentially how software got done early on, right? We just did things, not we're lots of 70s. little short cycles. Hmm? In the 70s, we were, we're still in the 70s. The it was yeah. the early 70s. The early yeah. 70s when the waterfall <laughs> model started to show up and people started getting very interested in it. No one ever so really I'll made it. I've got a data point for you. What's that? I've got a data point for you there. I yes, was doing please. a TDD course uh, quite a few years ago now um, in a, a, a very kind of um, legacy type of organization. So they had very uh, big mainframe type things. They were just dipping their toes in Java. And they had made the brave decision that what they wanted to do was transition all of their COBOL and mainframe programmers uh, across into this you know, shiny new Java OO world. <laughs> because they realized that the knowledge that they had about the domain and the systems and all that far outweighed the cost it would take to get them using these new languages. And I, I was feeling all kind of brave and gung-ho. So I thought, right, the first Java, the, the first Java they're going to see will be a test, will be a failing test. <laughs> and then, you know, oh, let, let's see if that works. And then we'll, and then we'll do this. And, and I said to them, I said, I'm going to do something a bit, you know, controversial here. I'm going to write a test before we write any code. And this guy who must have been about a hundred, <laughs> he said, uh, about bloody time. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we used to do this in the 60s. He said, because like machine time was so expensive. Yeah. If you couldn't turn up with your stack of cards with a specification of what was going to come out, they'd laugh you out of the building. Hmm. If you didn't know what this code was supposed to do and you couldn't prove it, they would just let them come back, come back tomorrow. We've got, you know, this, this stuff's incredibly valuable time slice. So we had to write these really comprehensive tests before we were allowed to even near, go near the punch card machine. You go, I don't know why we stopped doing that. It seemed like a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's also been an underlying shift in the industry. I, I drew a chart one time that said, what does a big application mean mm. across the decades? So I, I go back to the 70s and the early, you know, early 70s, and it's like a big, a big application was two boxes of cards. And I usually ask the audience, I mean, how many cards are in a box of cards? So you, and unless they have gray hair, they have no idea what I'm even talking about. It's 52, right? So, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> so how many cards are in a box of 2000. cards? 2,000. 2,000. I mean, he knows. Yeah. And a big application was 4,000 lines of code. Yeah. And then you go another decade, a big application is 40,000 yeah. lines of code. And then it's 400,000 yeah. lines of code. Then it's 4 million. And the techniques we used back then don't work. You know, we had to keep finding new ways of doing things. They mm -hmm. basically did two things. Simplify the problem down to something smaller and got rid of duplication. I mean, 
you know, SQL came out, COBOL came out. I mean, all these languages are about moving duplication, subroutines. I mean, all these ideas are eliminate duplication, simplify the problem. We're now getting back to the point because of small services and web services and stuff like this, we're back to small programs again. Mm -hmm. I can write a 2,000 line of code application that has, does a lot of things that works with a lot of other 2,000 lines of code applications. And now some of the techniques back from the 60s and 70s work again. So what's so funny about peace, love, and functional testing? What I hear you saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. That was Imagine a the, the change that has occurred in our lifetime. Fred and I started on probably machines. Can I just say, Bobby's indicating himself and Fred at this point. For those of you listening at home. Uh, <laughs> machines Basically. that were, you know, million dollar machines, and that was the cheap one, right? And they had a cycle time of perhaps two microseconds if they were really fast. And, and if you paid another two or three million dollars, you could get a megabyte of core. That was a million or two million dollars a month I rental, remember, wasn't it? I remember it, right? we priced 16K of core and it was $100,000. Oh, yeah. yeah, easy, right? Because little Chinese women had to weave those little cores together. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone else getting Stater and Waldorf from the Muppet Show? Right, well, <laughs> 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 Come on. So. Your process is stupid. It's ridiculous. I hate it, but it's okay. I kind of like it. I love it. It's brilliant. We should do it. <laughs> well, I'm not up. coming back here again. <laughs> I decided I don't like Dan North. Anyway. Um, He's going to shoot me with his ray phone. There's the... <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik JustCode. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Jack Gansel wrote an article in, IEE in, uh, e Times recently. He, uh, he said, you know, his iPhone has a trillion transistors in it. If you built that out of the technology that Fred and I started with, it would require 170 vehicle assembly buildings to hold it. Nice. Yeah, the NASA building, the NASA right? Building. Okay. 170 of them. It would weigh as much as 15 Nimitz-class aircraft carriers. People in Norway don't know what that means. Right? <laughs> it means a lot. <laughs> it would require a terawatt to power, nice. which means 502 gigawatt nuclear power plants, and it would cost $50 trillion, the economic output of the world. And once you had built it, there would be no one to call. Ha 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 
We lived through that. We live, we are holding in our hands this device, which is multiple orders of magnitude bigger than anything that we dreamed of. We hold that on our hands, right? What changes are coming? And how is that going to affect this silly thing we call agile? We've lived through a massive changes, horrifying changes. And you think there won't be any more? I'm just ranting. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Why should today be any different? Yeah. <laughs> right. Today is not different. We're exactly. still on the curve. Mm. Although the curve has taken an, a very odd turn. Uh, some of you have heard the, the rant before that uh, you know, so the speed of processors is not in, increasing. So now we're multiplying cores. Not the yeah. state of our software is going to have to change dramatically. What does that mean to the process of developing software? We're all used to, oh, code up a little algorithm here and a little algorithm there, and we think we're living in a single processor and maybe a few threads. But what's it going to be like for us when there's 4096 processors that have to run our algorithm? That'll be very different for all of us. What process are we going to use for that? And Will I, it be agile? I do see that the overarching story here is the fact that everything we've done so far in software is ultimately reflected by the hardware. You know, you needed the discipline of testing when CPU cycles were so expensive. And a lot of the agile practices we're doing now compared to 10 years ago have to do with the fact that you can now do continuous integration, continuous testing, because the machines right. are now fast enough yeah. that we can build the tools to protect ourselves from the practice problems and can identify problems sooner and so forth. So is the path of agile then clearly just whatever happens to hardware next? I, I see. I think Bob and the, the the gang of old men that met in Snowbird eleven years ago. Gang of old gang of old men. Goom, old white men. Was that your quote? The old white men. Well, thing? well. I, I don't love know. that. I wasn't the first. One. I love that. Um, so anyway, a gang of old people. Goom. <laughs> <laughs> So apart from the, the slight gender imbalance in that group of people, what they gave us, I think, is a in the Agile Manifesto, is a fantastic filter to overlay on what you're doing. So it doesn't matter whether you self-describe as Agile. It doesn't matter whether you say we're doing Scrum or we're doing Kanban or we're doing whatever methodology we've got. What matters is if you overlay this value statement, and that's the great thing about the Manifesto, it's a value statement. If you overlay that on your process and you can say, yes, that's true, then I think you're doing something that's reasonably healthy, whatever you want to call it. And if you're not, then I would suggest you rethink that. So as I was saying earlier today, the, you, just line by line, people in interactions over process and tools. All I hear about in the Agile community, all I hear about in coaching and in all these things are the processes and tools. We obsess about whether it's Scrum versus Kanban versus, you know, and am I using BDD or TDD or, or DDD or HDD or FDD or any other DDs, right? Uh, which of those things am I using? Am I doing pure XP? What's pure XP? Right? Am I, am I, what, what, what's my methodology? And then uh, having decided I'm going to do uh, TDD, what's my unit testing framework going to be? Let's have a religious war about that, right? And wh where are the people in this? And where are the interactions in this? And then you look at uh, collaboration over contract negotiation. It's a great idea. Let's all be on the same side, pointing in the same direction, until we get into the scrum planning session, where it becomes adversarial, or the showcase at the end, where we didn't quite deliver, and now it becomes a blames thing. 
or the retrospective where we kind of passive-aggressively beat each other up, unless we've got Esther there to keep the calm. Okay. So that there's a whole bunch of things, uh, you know, I can go on. Software over documentation, unless you obsess about executable specifications and which, which, uh, you know, are we going to use fit, uh, fit or fitness or, or jbehave or whatever. I'll spec, like, yeah. Which of these things are we going to use? You know, which tool's best? It doesn't matter, right? The software doesn't matter. The capability the software gives you is what matters. And so if you overlay these things on what you're doing, and you come out reasonably, yeah, do you know what? We, I think around here we seem to respect people. I think around here we seem to focus on getting software delivered that helps people do work. Yeah, I reckon we're doing a good thing. That's where Agile, that's the vision of Agile from like 11 years ago. And I think Bob's right. I think we've just completely lost that. We've lost it in the names and in the labeling and the branding and the selling and the packaging. Do you think that uh, human nature is such that we try to find, you know, what everybody else did that worked? So we, we talk to our friends and we talk to our colleagues. Hey, what did you use? What, what tools did you use? And I wish we tried to well, find. There, there's, there's a pervasive benchmarking disease. And yeah. it's, it's not just in technology and right. asking your friends. It extends to business and it goes back to the idea of, you know, we'll find something else that worked somewhere, but we won't understand why exactly. it worked. Yeah. We won't understand what problem it was solving. Right. And we'll, or if we have we'll the same apply problem. it. And we'll put the coconut yeah. shells on our ears and we'll wait for the planes to come. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. yeah. But it's also it's also economic. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're in the space of trying to make people do agile and and you just use you know index cards like uh, like Ward Cunningham originally did and it still works really well, or you're in the business of making a tool. These guys making tools are making money. They have salespeople out there. They go to conferences and they pay for things and they sponsor things and yeah. and all of a sudden the tool economy drives the, the the pressure to advertise and sponsor things and, and they're clearly you know interested in raising the tide of understanding so that you will appreciate the tool and well, they it, have a ready audience it's, it's like these these old product managers who say well if I buy this tool then I'm going to be better and they fall victim to that or, we're or, do, or do I train the people and invest in the people and, and do that or do I just buy the tool well buy the tools well easier because I know that works well we're all saying this from the position of hindsight knowing what has worked in the past and having the wisdom that we all have on this panel, well, not me certainly, but that you all have on this panel of knowing what what to do and what tools to use and what processes to use because you can analyze the situation. But I think for most people, they're blind. And so they rely, you know, that's a decision that they all have to make. What do we use? What do we do? And so those questions have to be answered blindly in most cases. So I would disagree that most people are blind. I would I would argue that most people are unaware that they can see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But... Uh, they, and, and this, this to me, this is like the fundamental tenet of coaching is you, you know, if you go into any team in any environment, they know their environment better than you do. Mm -hmm. Okay. They know their constraints better than you do. You can help them see those constraints and you can help them see those constraints through different filters. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, as soon as we start down the path of, of we have context and we can come in and we can tell you what to do, then you're, you know, you're, you're one small step away from, and we can productize that and we can sell that and we can sell <laughs> licenses for that. And, you know, and, and this is, this is where I see a, a um, a, 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 an intrinsic conflict, um, with, I guess, kind of consulting or certainly, uh, fee based consulting, the kind of the, the, the day rate consulting is, I've now got a zero sum game where the more of my people I can get on the ground or the bigger team I can get into your organization or the more of my time you need, the more I, the, the more money I make. However, right, surely the more money I, I, I should make would be in how successful I can make you and how, how quickly I can make you, how quickly I can get you there. 
And, and, and that, that conflict is really difficult to resolve. The, the choice of tools is just not that important. I, I remember, I think it was a C++ report article, uh, an editorial. Uh, I'm sure you were the editor at that point. Probably. Uh, but it was about, about your Java tools. It says, well, it doesn't really matter which of the, your Java tools. You know, there's always a new tool for doing, doing Hibernate-like stuff, always a new tool for doing pages. It was like it's, the article said it didn't really matter. It's the one you're familiar with is the one that gets you the applications the quicker. Mm. Don't try to go find the latest, greatest tool and learn how to do it. You're wasting your client's time. Mm-hmm. Pick the tools you're familiar with. And I take that attitude with my clients. It's going there. What do you guys use? Oh, that's fine. Let's use that. Because uh, by and large, it doesn't matter as much as everything else matters. Are you basically mitigating training costs at that point? You use what you know so you don't have to spend the money to learn to use something else? Well, I, I think I'm not, I'm not saying mitigating training costs, but I want to spend my training time and learning agile practices, mm-hmm. not in learning a new tool. And I think the social aspects are the things that make it successful, not the tools. I think there's something else more subtle there as well that makes that work, which is you're, because you're meeting them where they are, there's a big safety issue there. You're suddenly going in and saying, well, you guys use Eclipse. We'll use Eclipse. You know, you're using Visual Studio and you're not using ReSharper. Okay, we'll do that then. He's trying to resist the reality of consultants, which is the synthesis of con game and insult. <laughs> uh, yeah, we try to avoid that one. Some of us try to avoid that. Crossing the chasm into insultant. Yeah. Yes. But, but this is an interesting point, Dan, because a lot of people who are pushing Agile come in with the title of evangelist, <laughs> which is a sort of interesting metaphor if you think about what evangels do. They come and bring light to the darkness, which sort of implies that, you know... You're in darkness. You're in darkness, and and you're you're wrong, and I am here to show you the light. And uh, frankly, most people don't like to hear that message. You know, it's it's rather, as you say, insulting. So I think that's that's something that gets in the way of people learning how to think about what they're doing and examine their practices and improve their practices. But, you know, one of the things I love doing projects I deliver is I love to embed the developers from the previous generation of tools or projects they worked on because these guys really do understand the domain. So I'm not just after it because they like to use Eclipse. Mm-hmm. I need their knowledge. I need their way to navigate the organization, all the landmines associated with the organization. I love to have the legacy programmers on my team. And I can know what if I get them converted into Agile, I can walk away and it'll be a sustained change. But walking with a, a stranger, set of strangers, and we do something marvelous and walk out the door, it's like God. I'm glad they're gone. Yeah. And immediately, every, every crazy goes away. Yeah. yeah there was a guy that uh, I, I worked with um, a few years ago, and he was uh, one of the sort of gnarly kind of legacy programmers, and he was just not going to engage with anything we were doing. And he'd seen it all before. And I said to him, "So, so you know, uh, how, how do I get you interested? How do I how do I get you on board?" He said, "Do you know what, Dan?" He said. I'm just going to keep my head down and wait for the next methodology to come along. <laughs> <laughs> um, he may just as well. Sunny, have. Listen, uh, just sun. going to wait. Listen, sunshine. Listen, sun. Yeah. He, he didn't have a ball. He's going gudunk, gudunk, gudunk against the wall. <laughs> well, I mean, I think one of the ways to engage people is you solve a problem that they care about. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they're yeah. more likely to listen to yes. you, and then they're more yes. likely to say, "Well, this guy knows something that's valuable," rather than he's just here to tell us we're. Here he in darkness. Check. And it's about their agenda. It's, it's solve a problem yeah. that they care about, not that you think is big yeah. and showy or whatever. And that's that, that, or what that's their manager it. thinks is big and showy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, exactly. that's even worse. Yeah. 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 
I get this, these moments where people think Agile comes in a spray can. It's like, would you go squirt this on the uh, people? <laughs> well, I, I, I see a lot of organizations where the manager comes, says, I, I, you know, I want you to fix this team. They need to do Agile. They're, the team is screwed up. And what I inevitably find is that uh, the managers are screwed up. <laughs> and, they're, and they're doing all sorts of stuff that makes it more, to, not not with intention. You know, they have every good intention and they think they're doing things that are helpful, but that actually makes it more difficult for the teams to actually produce valuable working software. So, yeah. Well, this goes right back to Virginia Satir. Um, so, so Virginia Satir was the, yeah, this is everything, was the <laughs> first family therapist. So until Virginia Satir, you had child psychologists. Yeah. And you'd take your child, your broken child, to the child psychologist and they'd fix them. Right. And Virginia Satir is like a sort of early system thing. It didn't even describe itself as systems thinking because it didn't exist then. But she, she saw the child as a product of a system. And she, so she would work with the parents. And that was completely, you know, controversial and unheard of. And, and often, you know, obviously as you do that, suddenly the family becomes a more effective unit. And she described herself as fixing the world one family at a time, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff, uh, informs coaching and informs NLP and informs a bunch of those sorts of things. And again, if you look at a, if you look at a team, a particularly like a toxic team as a system, right? Or sorry, as the output of a system. So this team might be infighting or might be not delivering or might be whatever, whatever symptoms, um, you, you see. And, and again, she used to call them the presenting symptoms and like in, you know, in medical terms, like the presenting symptom might be, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, self-harming thing, like a, I don't know, food, whatever. Um, but the underlying cause is, is psychological. That, 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 that's just, that's, don't, don't, don't even focus over there. The interesting stuff's over here. And the same thing with the team. These guys are all fighting each other. Well, let's step back and see the context in which they're trying to get anything done. Let's assume they are intelligent. Let's assume they would like to do good work. Let's assume, therefore, there must be some constraint that they can't see or that we can't see that's stopping that. And when you start looking for the constraint rather than trying to fix the team, whatever that means, you end up having a very, very different engagement with them. Well, that's you're bas- talking basic psychology, like human psychology. Right, psychology. But people here. don't apply that to that kind yeah. of work. Well, and it's, and it's, it's, not, it's not valued in our. No, I mean that's part of it. I mean, there's a lot of attention to the technical system, but not a lot of attention to the social system, and yeah. the two have to work equally well to have. Well, and, and arguably, they're a projection of one another. But given that people aren't evolving particularly quickly, does that mean this, the future of Agile is more of the same? I, I think my experience has been when you bring in great Agile practices, the developers have more fun. Yes. And, and that sticks. That and sticks. The, and the challenge people is going to be... People optimize for fun. Yeah, they, you optimize for fun because it is more fun. You like to come in every day. I don't, I don't know a programmer ever came into work one day and says, today I'm going to write some bugs. <laughs> no, the fact that you do that is a failure of the system, not, yeah. not of the individual yeah. developer. And so you're trying to get into that environment where you're constantly delivering, you've got the feedback systems in place. They just have much more fun in that environment. Oh, I'm all out of bugs. i got to make some more. So yeah. how many, um, how many of you guys hungry. out there think of yourselves as structured programmers? Thank you. Good. Wait a minute. Notice that you, you probably are structured programmers. You follow the tenets of structured programming. You probably haven't written a go-to in, in years. You are structured programmers, but you don't think of yourself as that. Does anybody here remember the war that was fought over that issue? In the late 60s, early 70s, the trade journals erupted in flames. There was no internet, so we couldn't flame each other on the net. 
but we could do it in the in the trade journals and it was just as vicious and nasty <laughs> as you see now between Dan and I over BDD. <laughs> Do you That's think? Not vicious and nasty. No, I know. It could be. Uh, Quick. Do you think of yourselves as object-oriented programmers? Well, you might a little bit. You know. Okay. Yeah, we do well. Well, is that what you think of yourselves every day? Do you come in every day and make the decision today? I will write objects, or is it just become the way? This is what's happening with Agile. We hope, right? Uh, come back ten years. I don't want to hear the damn word. It's just yeah, it's the just way. That's yeah. how we do it. I had experience in teaching my uh, son development. Uh, we have both have sons in the industry. And uh, so was, he was quite young. He hadn't been to the university yet. And I was taking him through this object thinking and, and how you do the, the agile stuff. And then I describe it waterfall. And he turns around and looks at me and says, <laughs> Dad, why would you do it that way? Uh, and I'm like, oh, you're right. Son. I shouldn't talk about this anymore. <laughs> We've won. It only took a generation. But, you know, interesting. <laughs> If it becomes just the way it has to spread to all things, there's a lot of folks that are quite upset that Agile hasn't got a clear definition, that they talk, talk about Agile being muddied and blurry. But well, that, that, again, goes to the breadth of adapt, adaption we're having, because right. we've got some very mature Agile teams, and we've got some that are just adopting. And, and the Agile you've got to pr prescribe for each of those environments is radically different. Uh, and well, I, think, I think it has a very clear definition, providing you look at it from a values perspective. Mm -hmm. So the values are universal. The, the implementation of those values, the projection of those values into a situation is entirely contextual. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And con context is important. Because I, I agree that in 10 years we shouldn't be using the word. It should just be the way we develop software. Hmm. But we will not fix the problems of delivering valuable software within organizations if we only focus on the development teams. Right. Man, no method can, can solve those problems unless management also changes. And our, our dominant model of organization now is obedient machine, which is antithetical to the values. Right. And so you have a mismatch of, of, of mindsets with the development team versus a larger organization, which tend to be organized around very mechanistic principles. Well, and, it's and I also, think that's one of our big challenges. Well, it's also worth observing, I think, again, that the Agile movement came out of programmers, came out of people who deliver software into organizations, and not necessarily inside organizations. I mean, you, you'll know the proportions, but what, what proportion of the Snowbird gang were consultants versus internal, like, delivery folks? I'm going to go with Probably most. about two-thirds were consultants. Right. So, and so the, these are people who are used to traveling from organizations. You know, they're, 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 the, they're the minstrels. They, they take ideas from one place to another. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. So what I want to know is, I, I think many of you may be in this position. You find yourself the Sisyphus of Agile at work. As you said, Sisyphus, I remember the rest of my thought, but carry on. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, nobody's doing agile practices around, you know, in the team. I, I'm, I'm asking you guys with the experience, 
how do we get that guy to move the stone? Do you know? How, what do we tell that guy to help them, uh, Martin get Fowler, things? uh, had a very wise answer to that question. And the answer was change your organization or change your organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. Right. Yeah. Change the organization or change you. Yeah. In an organization, another or organization. So, yeah. An, yeah, yeah, yeah. An, a corollary or an, an ancillary statement here is: is how many successful agile transitions have there been, really? Yeah, good right. question. And that's a fascinating question to explore because I can't name a lot of them. Okay, I can name a few, and a few because they don't good. have the word agile in them. <laughs> and this is this is this is kind of where I was going with that thought before my my my, my brain page falls in. Um, <laughs> Is is so the agile movement has come I just out. I want of to see the delivery bond readout. I'm set to not save core dump. So I don't want anyone looking at that that mess. Um, so and and this is so this is delivery folks saying how can we be more effective in terms of delivery? Now if you take that out a little bit and the the values that the agile folks are espousing. Um, is an awful lot like uh, the uh, beyond budgeting and the throughput accounting folks and the lean folks and you know people who've been doing this since the fifties since you know or yeah arguably since almost before we had software or certainly around about the time. So uh, where I've seen organisations shift to something that is very very akin to agile is folks like uh, Stato Hydro just down the road. Um, who, you know, the, the, where, where the, the CFO there just said, do you know what? We spend 10% of our effort, roughly, every year preparing for the budget cycle, going through the budget cycle, infighting, moving money between pots. Let's just stop budgeting. And the entire oil industry went, and, and looked, and, there, and nothing bad happened. And he said, how about that? And he said, he said, okay, here's the rules. Spend the money like it's your own money. Right? That would be on shoes in my case. On shoes, right? <laughs> so, so, so Stato Hydro now has a lot of shoes. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> new shoes for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Choo sponsored oh, by Stato Hydro. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, spend it as though it's your own money. Be, you know, have, have that level of fiscal responsibility. Um, and in, invest in the stuff you think is going to be useful. And suddenly everyone was being a bit sensible. Obviously, that, that started a huge, very, very slow moving of a very large, you know, But it seems so obvious, right? How do, we, right? how do we spend money better? Just be smart about it. Well, well and he said, he, my, my favorite quote of his is he says, having annual budgeting is like having a bank that's open one week every year. Yeah. So that's a, that's like, a huge systemic change. That's that a huge speaks systemic to, change. Which speaks to says, a different set of values that right. says, yeah. We um, we can set some boundaries and some thou shalt nots, yeah. and within that, we trust that we have hired intelligent, responsible people. How about that? Right? How about that? Which is very different from the typical hier- hierarchy, bureaucratic hierarchy, where the rules have devolved to s- prevent people from making what in the minds of the people who make the rules are stupid and foolish mistakes. So yeah. it's a very different mindset about people. It's a very yeah. different mindset about what an organization is and how how best to get people to work together. And this goes back to your observation earlier yeah. on about the the reward structure being aligned with the delivery model. So if the uh, the the spending model is pull based, it's kind of I think I can do something useful over here, therefore yeah. I'll spend money on it. And the reward system 
is pool-based. I'm going to put my name against this initiative and try and make something really good happen here. And when it does, that's great. Then suddenly, guess what? All of that pulls through the organization. So the, 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 the business folks line up behind that. The delivery folks line up behind that. The operations folks line up behind that. And, and everything just falls into place. So it seems like Agile is kind of, it's trying mm. to solve the wrong problem. It's saying, I've got this big hierarchical, uh, you know, cost accounted environment. I'm going to try and get something done here. Whereas, you know, the, 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 the beyond budgeting guys are saying, I'm going to shift the whole organization 90 degrees and then see what happens at the other end. But sustainab Which, sustainability is, is not something these guys have control over. No, no, exactly. And this is the sustainability that changes is, yeah. is almost a C-level executive thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, and that's you where know, I want to see Agile in 10 years time is it's gone, it's, it's, it's either moved up the stack or, or, or the, 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 the lean thinking thing has come down to meet it halfway. And it, and it becomes then, you know, as, as, as you're but saying, going, a systemic going back change. to the, the Sisyphus issue, I, mean, I think it's the same for someone inside an organization it is, as it is for someone coming in from the outside, which is you have to work by attraction. Yes. Right? You, you, you do something quietly on your own. You show some results. When someone is interested in it, you, then you invite them in to learn about it. Right, yeah. which is works be much awesome. better than Become yeah. Viral. Just be awesome, yeah. and, be except awesome, it, unless you're in a really toxic environment, and then mm. they'll hate you for being awesome. That's right. Yeah, but mm. it often mm. works. Yeah. I wonder no, how many toxic environments they're out of. Well, I think there's a few. <laughs> I, I, I've been in an environment. I've been more than once been in an environment where people outside of the uh, delivery I was responsible for, or associated with were actively trying to sabotage of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's just so, such a shocking waste of energy. Do you want to <laughs> it's their job. It's their job. Right. Hire a layer of middle managers to make sure that everything stays the same. Yeah. So yeah, exactly to reinforce the status quo. Right. Yeah. You try and come in and change something from the bottom up, and they're going to actively resist it. The, mm -hmm. the most dramatic example of that that I recall was um, a team um, of very well-known company, security company. This team just rocked. They adopted the principles and the practices, and they they were just doing great stuff. They did their own internal studies. You know, they showed that they were fifty percent more productive because they actually re-implemented software. The second thing, they showed their defect rate had gone down by an order of magnitude. They were remarkably <laughs> successful. Uh, and a year later, none of them were doing agile because the very successful VP who had brought Agile in, the vice president, moved on. He got promoted to a better job. The next VP came in, and he shot all the lion cubs. Boom, boom, boom. The way that old guy did it, screw that. We're going back to something else that makes more sense. Boom. The whole thing was shut down. Wow. So it, at a very high level, wow. regardless yeah. of the results. And where did all, what happened to all those people? They all left. Mm. And they, they went to other companies. They changed yeah. their organizations. Yeah. They went to other companies, which are now doing quite well. Most so, of them. But I, yeah, I see that happen yeah. a lot. So I've never run into difficulty going to C-level executives and nice. selling them the Agile message. Oh, they, no. they really understand it. They like the idea of reducing the job roles. They like the idea of sharing. They like the idea of frequent delivery. If I can, I can, I can sell it to C-level executives, and I can sell it to the to you guys. It's easy. You, it's more fun. You squeeze the other guys in the middle. Mm -hmm. So when that architect comes running up to his manager, he says, you know what those idiots are doing down there? He says, yes, and I'm told him to keep doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like that. That's agile. what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and all those risk, these are risk averse middle managers. This is, this is their role. They don't like change because they're very comfortable. And now all of a sudden, if they're not endorsing agile because the C level guys are in the line, they start changing. They start trying to adopt the agile. And so, again, yeah. vice president's yeah. there. He decides it's a good idea. It happens. Mm -hmm. And you take those guys out or you never sell those guys on it, it won't happen. It's not sustainable change. Well, I think part, part of the issue is that 
there isn't much to guide middle managers. And a lot of the early rhetoric was, well, we don't need no stinking managers. <laughs> so, um, so that sort of rhetoric does not encourage people to say, oh, let's go this way because it means loss for them. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, people will change to protect something they value, but if all they see is loss, then they're not likely well, to go along. So I think there are actually roles for middle managers when they can integrate across the organization instead of just looking down at getting my team to do their work. The real power of middle management is an integrating function, looking at how the system is working. But I, I think relatively small percentage of the middle managers think that way. I mean, the, the ones that are but, high okay, flyers so, are yeah. trying to work their way up the organization, yeah, they're they, they'll that. adopt yeah. Agile because it gives them visibility and, and they really do believe in this. They want but they're also risk. taking a chance. Yeah, they're they're not willing to take a yeah. chance to get promoted, and if it fails, they'll change companies. Well, and, and, the, yeah. and from a lean operations perspective, like, like so they talk about the idea of the role of a manager is to manage the process, not the people. So you assume that people are, are grown ups and they're going to do a good thing, and the role of the manager, as as, as uh, Esther's saying, is to look at the system, look at the process, and see if there's if you know, how to make that work better. And there's a guy called Richard Dernell, um, who's a Brit in Australia, who was in uh, Ford for quite a long time doing lean operations there and then wandered into software. And he's got a great blog post at richarddernall.com um, about how to communicate this message to C-level people. And he talks about this model of how things break. And so he'll, he'll educate his, 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 his uh, CIO or whatever and he'll say, right, the first thing that breaks is the people. You're messing with their, their, their routines and, their, and their, their world and their, their values and that kind of stuff and, and, and they're going to break. Okay? And the next thing that's going to break will be the tools. Because now we've gotten doing these different things. The tools that used to reinforce the old system don't work in the new system. They have to get new tools. Uh, what's the next thing that breaks? The next thing that breaks is funding, right? Financing. You can't do cost accounting in a flow system. And then uh, governance breaks. You know, how do you manage risk and assurance across it? And he's got this whole program of these yeah. things that break. Yeah. And now this C-level guy, like, you know, someone comes running and going, have you seen what Richard's doing? It's all certain. And he's sitting there going, oh, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. you're right. here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it took so long. Richard must be having an effect. Right. I, I'll, I'll give you another couple of weeks and I'll wait for you to tell me the tools are useless now. We can't do this with these tools anymore. Brilliant. Step two, right? We're on our way. And so, so rather than hearing doom and gloom, he's hearing success and acceleration. And it's, again, it's entirely how you, how you present this message and how you, how you prepare people for that change. Do you think that uh, Sisyphus will have a good chance of moving the stone if he thinks about uh, his impact on on the company in terms of dollars saved or um, money saved because you know the managers love to hear that we're saving money or we're making money perhaps. Tom Ning and Sisyphus is this guy with massive shoulders. Absolutely. Right? And I can step back and look at this system and I know that every time he pushes this rock up a hill it's going to roll back down and he's going to push the rock up a hill. And I'm thinking, well, since I can see that outcome and since I trust Sisyphus because he's someone I hired, right? I'm going to suggest that he stops doing that up and down the hill thing because that's completely zero and goes off and does something else with those massive shoulders of his. Am okay, I allowed to so do that? the metaphor doesn't work. But <laughs> <laughs> so, what I'm saying is that you know, no. if, 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 if as an enabler, um, you know, and again, this is teaching people to see, if, if at this point he yeah. realizes that, that this, this thing can, he can never achieve this thing, yeah. then, then let's figure out what, 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 what is going to be of benefit. He's thrashing. Yeah. All right, so you're not a thrasher guy. So now let's let's just talk about uh, somebody who wants to adopt Agile, somebody who is adopting Agile methodology, and nobody's listening. You know, nobody's observing the effect. I guess what I'm saying is, can can you sell it from a from a money point of view? 
Well, you ought to be able to sell it from a money point of view. And and how do and, and we do in, that as developers? Because we're not money guys. Actually, you know I mean? think in many cases, people are very happy, like under the radar. Because mm-hmm. we're getting our work done, yeah. and we're having mm-hmm. fun. And if we make too much noise about it, right. someone will come the in and step see. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's I mean, there's an appeal to flying under the radar sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you're going to make the case, you have to do it in terms that the people you're talking to care about. Right. And sometimes that's money. Mm-hmm. Not always. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes it's about, um, here's how we can make you look really good and you'll get a promotion. And make more yeah. money. And make more well, money. Well, I mean, this, entire, this but, again, comes back to funding and cost accounting. So if, yeah. if you, if you've got like one, one budget pot that's the hardware and, and one budget pot that's the operations and one that's the analysts and one that's the testers, because the testers are in a, we've offshored the testers because testing doesn't matter. And then we've got <laughs> the, the developers and, and, and we've offshored that because programming doesn't matter. And then, and you've got these different bits all over the place coming out of different pots. It's very hard to describe the value proposition of agile right. or lean or any of that stuff because it's all about understanding the cycle, understanding the, the process flow, yeah. and understanding the vast amount of waste in that flow, and and how you can massively reduce that. Also, yeah, agile until has people to be done by a team, not by one person. Right, so there's that. Yeah, and and, as well. and and I think you can get kind of fine grained optimizations in that process through using some kind of agile techniques. But you all, you can almost end up fighting against yourself because now all these local optimizations are going to yeah. fight against a, a more effective system. Yeah. So it's it's a real. I mean, yeah, it goes right back to Esther's point about like un, unless your reward structures and your funding structures are sympathetic to that kind of delivery, you can't argue in that in that way. So anybody remember uh, Phil Crosby? Phil Crosby. Bill Cosby. Didn't no, no, not Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see what we have here is some serious. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> See, Noah. <laughs> um, Phil Crosby was the guy who coined the term zero defects. He's the guy who coined the term quality is free. He taught uh, corporations around the world uh, how to do quality. And he made a blithering fortune uh, telling people how to do quality. And CEOs around the world paid massive amounts of money for Phil Crosby to come in or to send his people to Phil Crosby to teach them about quality. I was, I worked at a company once where we did the whole Phil Crosby thing. Two years later at that company, we did the TQM thing. Anybody remember <laughs> TQM? Total quality management. The Japanese style now. We can't do yeah. the Phil Crosby thing anymore. We've got to do the TQM thing. And we, we had people at a, whole departments at our company that was the quality department and mm-hmm. they followed the TQM thing. Now, these CEOs, they hear the story over and over again. They know what a fad smells like. They know (laughs) what story they're going to be told by the consultants who come in. Agile consultant comes in and says, you know, we can save you a lot of money. We can really improve your process. They're going, smells like Bill Crosby around here. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got to have a much better line. You really do. You can't go in there and just say, so well, there's that's one there's of the plenty of people still data. looking for a silver bullet. There, you know, there are. Sad. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why. But when I, I find it, <laughs> life will be better. Which yeah. I will. Mm. Yeah, I will. Godot's going to bring it when he turns up. <laughs> yes, we're well, all waiting for Godot. <laughs> I have to feel a little bit about agile with the C-level executives because I mean, you go to the Gartner conferences, you go to yep. the Forrester Group, you go to Gartner conferences. <laughs> 
Uh, Fred, my boy Fred. <laughs> All right, so before but, we before we uh, adjourn, descendants. Here, oh, go on. No, no. Before we adjourn, <laughs> I'd like each of you to find. Uh, I know, you know, we, we don't like to generalize, and that's basically what we always agree on, is that everything is in context, and you can't just sort of make these blanket things. But if you can We can't give, always make these blanket Can't always do that, but sometimes you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Sometimes you can. If you could give one sentence of advice to, to the, the people who are just getting started with Agile, what is it? Uncle Bob, one sentence. Do a good job. That's a good sentence. That's a good sentence. Um, Fred, kill the titles. Kill the titles. Mm-hmm. All right, Esther. Yeah, the introverted one goes last. Is that what? Is that, is that your so that's you know, you know, No, that's not my wisdom. I thought that was the sentence. Very quick. Sorry, I thought it was this like massive, profound talent. I was going to go and no, meditate no, no, on that. No, 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 question mark off my head. Last. No. Oh, I get it now. No, I don't. Okay. No, you're. Oh. Oh, so you think of your thing. Okay, so um, I would say this. I would say there is going to be uncertainty. And you need to embrace that uncertainty and you need to understand that uncertainty. It's two sentences. There will be uncertainty which you should (laughs) (laughs) endeavor to understand. Awesome. Yes, period. Okay, Esther. Um, Context is everything. So observe. Separate your... Separate your interpretation from your observation and then try experiments and learn. Richard, how about you? Um, nah, I'm in awe. Well, you know. <laughs> He's in awe. You, you are a smart guy. You have an opinion. What's your one sentence of advice? Focus on the people. Mm-hmm. And mine is just be awesome. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks panel. We'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions. Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a